great day, great night, wherever you are watching or listening in from. Welcome to another edition here of Crypto Happy Hour and have a special guest on the line today. It is at Crypto Ethan or better known as Ethan. What's going on, man? How's it, ha how's it happening? It's going well. It's going well. How are you? Good, good. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to join and for anybody who isn't familiar, so I actually have a link in the uh, description, number one, to Ethan's Twitter, but also to uh, the last time Ethan was on the channel, which was, I believe, almost the exact literal top of the crypto market. I think it was January 15th of 2018. Um, so it was basically the the absolute top on the market, which is pretty freaking funny um, to think about. And... I went back and watched some of the video with with you on and kind of maybe maybe halfway through we started talking a little bit about kind of what your thoughts on the market were and um you pretty much called the top and said we were completely overextended and you know we might start to to hit a you know a couple couple different phases of despair and um you know start seeing some capitulation so I thought that was pretty um looking back you, you nailed it uh, which is pretty awesome. So good for you on that. But yeah, wanted to have you back on. I know, um, you know, we've been trying to, to to figure this out with your schedule for a while. But wanted to have you back on. Just get a feel for where your head's at, and also, you know, take some questions and Q and A here um, as well. So I thought that'd be awesome to to do. Yeah, sure. So uh, last time you had me on, it was about a year ago. Um, Bitcoin had made its top in December. Uh, I was on in January, I think. And uh, to be fair, I gave a little bit of a hedged call. I said, you know, we don't really know where it's going to go from here. But my inclination is that uh, the run doesn't have you know much longer to go. Um, and it turned out that it didn't have any more to go at all. No. Uh, so uh, so far, we've seen um, we've seen a pretty sharp pullback. I'm sure we're all painfully aware. Um, and I think around now, it's interesting that you have me on again now because. I actually just started buying like, uh, not crazy, but uh, I put, at least for me, was a substantial amount of money into yeah. it uh, back in, I think, December, back when it uh, mm -hmm. hit its low. Yeah, and I think we can kind of get into your thoughts on on like where, where we are and um, kind of where we've been and maybe, you know, take a little bit of a recap as far as kind of the, just the market cycle as a whole. Um, and for everybody who's watching right now, if you're listening, I'm going to turn this into a podcast later as well, but it is crypto happy hour. So I got a, I got a black logger, um, the same one I had in the last episode. I've, I've been on the black logger kick, so I'm going on with that again. Um, and Ethan is, you know, one year older, but I don't know about the legal drinking age here. So we're, <laughs> well, not encouraging. I am in London, but <laughs> I have a very nice bottle of co-op water that I will okay, be drinking. Okay, throughout there we are. There we are. Um, but yeah, so, but yeah, so I am in London though, uh, studying abroad. Very good time here. Shout out uh, LSE Frisbee. Um, but yeah, so good time. Awesome. Well, so yeah, kind of going to your point, um, having looked at the market and I know you said you started buying a little bit in December. Do you think, I guess, high level question, do you feel like we've, we've kind of bottomed out at this point where we have Bitcoin sitting kind of mid 3000s uh and a lot of the you know a lot of the rest basically the rest of the crypto market really following following suit with bitcoin do you feel like we've we've reached some level of of a bottom or do you think there's still room to go further Where, where's your head at at this point in time so i think we've reached more or less the bottom um i 
uh, I'm lucky that I got a pretty big fill in at 3150. Um, so uh, I, I do think it's the bottom. Um, I'm not sure if it's the exact bottom or not. I mean, that's really hard to pinpoint. Um, I, I think if it's not the exact bottom, we're pretty damn close because, um, you know, looking at past retracements, right? If we're going back, and I like to do this, I like to look back at the 2013, 2014 uh, bubble and subsequent bust and see sort of how that played out. And also look back at other uh, smaller market cycles that happened before that in Bitcoin's history. And looking back to then, we saw about an 85% pullback from Bitcoin's all-time high in, I think, December 2013 to its all-time low in January 2015. Yeah. And I was trading back then as well. So I remember that. I remember how, you know, if everyone felt. I remember what it felt like on Twitter. I remember kind of what the prevailing sentiment was. Uh, and, you know, back in December, uh, was it felt pretty dang sim similar. Um, but I also want to note that uh, the low of 3,000, roughly 3,000 that we hit uh, back in December last year is about 85% from its all-time high of 20,000. And that was sort of what I had my eye on as we were going down. You know, we had a very strong support level at 6,000, but strong support yeah. levels were made to be broken. Didn't hold. No, it didn't. Um, so I was sort of looking at a uh, potential pullback to maybe 4,000, uh, worst case scenario, about 3,000. Uh, I didn't necessarily think, uh, I wasn't like, convinced fully that it was going to go all the way to 3000 because I thought, okay, the Bitcoin market is more liquid, more well-established. There is more institutional money in the market. Uh, so I thought that there was going to be uh, a little bit of a, a more mild pullback because I thought there was the money in the market was more uh, less flexible, more inflexible um, because you had institutions, you had larger players coming into the play who weren't going to be uh, as deterred by these, uh, you know, volatile prices. So I thought they were going to help to not only provide liquidity, but also sort of uh, take some coins off the market that would otherwise be uh, used more speculatively. Uh, but it seems like that hasn't come into play. Uh, we are at about an 85% pullback, which is roughly what we saw in 2014. Um, we haven't really, we saw a mild bounce off the lows, but at least Bitcoin is starting to go drift back towards those lows. Right now I'm looking at 33.50 on Bitcoin, which is about $200 above the low. Um, so I don't know if this is like the absolute low or not, but I'm pretty convinced that we are near the lows. And I'm pretty sure $1,000, anything like that is out of the cards. Like, yeah, that's the way I think about it. It's funny yeah, yeah, as yeah. you say that I'm looking at, yeah, Morel and John Penn, shout out. Thanks thanks for watching <laughs> in too. Yeah, seeing 1,300, 1K, um, which, you know, that's, that's still quite a ways. I mean, that's what, 60 plus percent down from where we are right now. So not saying that, that that is out of the question by any stretch, but um, that would be uh, a lot more pain across. And, and I think if we see a 60% downturn on Bitcoin, you're going to see altcoins go down 80 plus percent, I would, I would bet. Yeah. Um, and I think the approach at least I take in situations like this, when you're looking at a more macro time frame, is to look less at precise levels on the charts and look more so at prevailing sentiment. And that's a tricky deal with. I actually have a blog post out about it that talks about sort of how I treat sentiment analysis because it is a very multifaceted tool. Um, it's in my Medium. It's on my Medium account if you want to check that out. But yeah. uh, basically, uh, the way I think about this and the way that I recall it happening back in 2014, 2015 um, is basically what we saw in when Bitcoin was at 6,000 or at least when it was coming down off its highs when it was at 10,000, 12,000. People weren't really talking about how low it was going to go. It was more so talk about, okay, once this bear market is over, this dip is over, how high are we going to go? You know, we saw calls still even halfway through 2018 for 50,000, 100,000. 
I mean, you name it. Um, one, one parabolic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but now, uh, you know, as Bitcoin settled into its 6,000 range, uh, people started to get a little bit more skeptical. Some people thought 6,000 was going to break. I would say that the majority probably thought that 6,000 was a solid level that was going to hold. Um, but then when we broke 6,000, you know, until about 5,000 or so, people thought, oh, this is a minor retracement. But then as we did lower, as we went to 4,000 and then ultimately just above 3,000, people started to change their narrative, right? People started to think, okay, how low can this go? And not just, not just how low will it go, but will it go to zero? And that's when the question changed, right? Mm -hmm. The question wasn't, okay, when's the low? The question is, is this going to zero or is it going to 1,000, 100, you know, however low you want to say. And at that point, when people start saying things like that, you can sort of get a feel for what, you know, the supply is looking for, looking like in Bitcoin, both the supply and the demand, actually. When people are overwhelmingly turning uh, to despair, right, or think that, okay, the low is not in, we're, let's say, going to 1,000, what are the odds that they're invested in Bitcoin? Probably pretty low if they think it's going to go lower, right? Uh, if they're sitting, if they're, you know, being kind of silent, sitting on the sidelines, they're probably not super heavily invested in Bitcoin, right? And also, I like to think, right, if we're at $3,000, how much supply out there, or at least like elastic supply, is there left, right? How many people are there really that are willing to sell at this price? Mm -hmm. Because we've been at about $3,000 for quite a while. Um, it's about 85% from its highs. Most people are way, way down on their capital. People, most people are way underwater on their investments. Um, even if they bought like halfway through 2017, they're yeah. still underwater if they just held. Um, so the question really is, is, you know, how many, you know, hodlers out there uh, that are still willing to sell? And if the answer is very few, then you have a, a pretty good looking supply curve, right? Where people aren't really willing to, to sell at this price. So supply is sort of constrained, right? Uh, and at the same time, demand is also pretty bad. I'll be honest, demand is pretty bad. No one's really looking to buy Bitcoin right now, I guess, except for me um, and a few other people out there. Um, uh, but I think, you know, looking at looking at sentiment, um, and I'm not sure if I explained that the best, but looking at sentiment is sort of a good way to get a feel for, uh, you know, not wisdom of the crowds, but sort of looking at how the crowds are invested. And from there, looking at momentum, looking at flows, looking at, okay, where are we going to go from here, given that this is where, let's say, the majority of investors are positioned? Yeah, and I think there's kind of going to that point, too, on sentiment, which is, I, I think, really interesting, especially when you're, you know, you're talking about crypto, uh, because so much of this is psychological, so much of this is sentiment-driven. Uh, there was a good tweet from uh, Murad. It's at must stop Murad. Um, I don't mm -hmm. think I can actually be able to show it to you. I don't know if you've already seen right. it, but um, so. I'm showing it on the screen share right now. And it actually goes to so it it's Murad talking and says this. He has a chart, which is actually the Bitcoin tweets historical chart of tweets per day. And you can actually see the run up from April of 20, really January of 2017, um, all the way into the peak of, of mid-December when we saw Bitcoin at $20,000. Uh, and there has really just been a straight downfall, kind of matching the, matching the Bitcoin price in 2018 to 2019. And we are at, uh, according to Murad here, um, Tweets about Bitcoin are at the same levels they were in 2014 and lower at any point than they were in 2016. Um, 
says this is basically an absolute disaster for the price in the midterm opinion. And and to put it into context, Murad is, is highly, highly bullish in the long, long term. But I do think it's really interesting too, because that was one of the big things that we had talked about in the past um, when we had uh, when you were on last time was we had talked a little bit about just kind of market cycles in general and that we had the whole Wall Street cheat sheet um, and then some of the other uh, kind of components around market sentiment. Uh, and right now, I think a lot of people still are like waiting for for like capitulation. Um, and I really do think that the, in my personal opinion, the vast, vast majority of investors that came in in December and January of 20, you know, 2017, 2018 have capitulated, have left the market. Um, and a lot of the hype and interest around Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is kind of limited to the 176 crazy people that are on YouTube right now, the three people that are on Twitch. Uh, and I don't know how many people that are on Parrot. Uh, no, obviously a lot more than that, but um, it's it's a pretty core group of, of people at this point in time that are that are kind of still left interested in the space and, and even looking at kind of social sentiment. And I think Google Trends is another one. I mean, a lot can be said about that being a lagging indicator and not really something you can kind of base further decisions off of, uh, but interesting nonetheless, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's more than a few ways to actually go about like finding data for sentiment analysis. Uh, I do a little bit more subjective. Like you said, you know, yeah. Google Trends is a little bit lagging, but it can still give you a good picture of, you know, where we are relative to, I guess, far further back historically. Mm -hmm. um, like, for example, I'm, I do have the must up Murad tweet uh, up right yeah. now, and it's a pretty good chart. Um, it's a good find. Um, but I think in terms of sentiment analysis, I take a little bit more of a subjective approach. So uh, most of what I do is sort of focused on Twitter because I think Twitter, uh, I mean, I just like Twitter personally, and I think it can, is a good proxy for the investor base as a whole. Um, you know, I'm not sure pulling in like other platforms uh, would really help. Um, but what I do is I kind of, uh, I have a lot of the like big accounts, I guess, followed. Um, and, you know, when they tweet or they post a call, sometimes I'll keep, I'll keep track of what their directional bias is. And I'll also go look at the replies and see sort of what uh, the people who follow them are saying or the, what the replies are saying, right? Uh, I like to see sort of if goalposts are shifting, right? Uh, whether or not people are changing their opinions just because of new price data, right? And price data is important to consider, but price is price. Price is not fundamentals. Price is not, not it's surface level, right? So I think for those people who are waiting for capitulation, right, I have two questions. One is, what would you define as capitulation? Not necessarily just a level, but what would you define in terms of user base, tweet activity, you know, media coverage? It's a whole package, right? What overall environment on top of price would you define as capitulation? And second of all, what did you define as capitulation six months ago, mm -hmm. right? Back when Bitcoin was falling, right? Did you think that six or three thousand dollars was the low because i remember a lot of people saying at least in passing that okay we could hit three thousand dollars right i wasn't seeing anything for a thousand dollars but now that we're actually at three thousand i'm seeing a lot of people just completely shift their positions down two thousand one thousand or below uh just because price is now at three thousand the way i approach it is hey i saw or a lot of us saw you know that we bitcoin was going to go lower and i thought three thousand was definitely in the cards and now that we're at 3000, I'm not shifting my position. I'm saying, this is amazing that we're here. This is a great price and I'm buying. Um, and so that's sort of how I'm approaching it. I'm not really shifting my opinions um, based on you know what price is doing. Uh, I think if you have, let's say a wrong call, I think uh, 
the crypto dog actually made a really put a really good series of tweets out i think earlier today or yesterday yeah. talking about uh how he did sort of a 180 on an ethereum uh price prediction because uh price sort of invalidated his previous thesis and that makes a lot of sense right if price goes goes against where you thought it was going to go then yeah that makes a lot of sense to go ahead and revise you know your thesis and think okay where did i go wrong but in this case right if you thought bitcoin was going to hit Six thousand or three thousand, especially if you thought it was going to hit three thousand, because that was a pretty prevailing uh, uh, level that was out there. Then why would you revise your opinion if it all played out to plan, right? Just because you're scared doesn't mean you should, you know, revise your opinion. And I'm not saying you know all in FOMO into Bitcoin right now. Obviously, please don't do that. Like, yeah. please, please don't do that. But <laughs> Ethan like, is is providing you certified financial advice oh, at present time. To don't get me in trouble. Put your entire life savings into bitcoin and potentially dentacoin um, oh so you can you can throw that you can throw that in uh you can throw that in writing guys <laughs> <laughs> uh so there's a there's a good question here uh shout out ricky thompson appreciate that uh, so this is assuming we ever ever or kind of uh yeah making the assumption that we ever go up again um but bobby ask uh ask ethan how high bitcoin needs to go to break this downtrend seems to be different for everybody. So looking at kind of where we are right now, um, do you think that there is a specific level that we can see that you know might actually provide some clear break of this downtrend that we've been on since uh, 1984 at this point? Uh, I don't know if one level is really going to do it. It's a multi-year trend, so it's not just you know one level. Um, I think though, if I did have to give one level, it has to be six thousand, right? If you look at the chart. The chart, like since, what is it? I have a chart on a different screen here. Mm -hmm. So since about early February, $6,000 has been tested so many times as support and it's held so many times. And if you look at the, um, if you look at the chart, right, it looks literally like you put a graph of, let's say X squared, the, the parabola against a graph of like uh, Y equals zero, right? And you kind of get squeeze Bitcoin as it, let's see if I can do this, right? As you squeeze Bitcoin, as it goes below these two curves, that's what the chart looks like, yeah. right? So six thousand, that has to be, that has to be the level that we, you know, if that breaks, then that would be a really good sign. But like I said, it's not just one level. Mm -hmm. That would be a really good indicator, but it's going to be a multi-year trend, right? Uh, and the way I'm looking at it is not that you know we're going to rise over the next six months or whatever, right? we could easily stay uh near these lows and below six thousand for a year or two honestly like we yeah. might not see anything for a year or two but i think if you're thinking you know will it ever go up again just maybe think back to why you got involved in the first place right maybe think less about the price action if you're making an ever statement then you have to think about the fundamentals right think about why you got in did you really believe in technology is that why you got in that's kind of why i got in that's probably why you got in as well but just think about that. Don't let price sort of cloud your long-term super honest. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so taking a look at some of these questions here as well, um, and, and kind of going to that point too. So um, you had you know said, hey, if you know if we're we're here at this level, this three thousand dollar level for for a year, two years, that's certainly possible. Definitely is. Um, do you feel like you know kind of uh, some some steadiness at this level, similar to what we saw at that six thousand dollar mark that we were hanging around at for I think it was probably uh, the better part of like three to four months, really, um, where there was just really minimal minimal volatility at all. The daily volatility on Bitcoin was was kind of 
tiny in comparison to what it traditionally has been. Um, do you feel like that that would be healthy for the, for the I guess Bitcoin or trading ecosystem if if we do see some just kind of overall support here without any massive fluctuations to the upside? Any any thoughts on that? Uh, I think that would be. I think sort of how 2015 and 2016 or the first half of 2016 sort of fleshed out uh, a lot of the uh, you know bad actors or people who are just in it for the money uh, in in crypto. Um, I think we're going to see something similar like that, similar to that uh, in 2019 and potentially 2020 as well. Um, you know, when price is moving, it doesn't matter if it's going up or down, you can make money on, mm-hmm. on it, right? Because you can use leverage. But if it's ranging or if it's flat, if it's chopping, then you really, you got to be really, really skilled at technical analysis to make money in that environment. And there's some people who can, but most people can't. And especially with, you know, if you're trying to capitalize on like the longer term like cryptocurrency market cycle, let's say you want to get like a job uh, in, in like the job blockchain space, let's say, um, then it's going to be really, really hard because as companies sort of adjust to, you know, these pro this prolonged depression, um, people are going to continue to get laid off. Even if the price doesn't go down, we're going to see more miners shutting off. We're going to see more people getting laid off. And I hate to say it, I really do. Like this is not good stuff, yeah. but it's what we're going to, it's what we're going to end up seeing if, if, you know, Bitcoin stays where it is. Um, and Going back to sort of what you said about finding support at this 3,000 level, uh, Mustad Murad actually did put out a tweet saying that he thinks like 1,000 is likely. Um, I respect him. He's got some, he's got some charts that back, up, back that up. Um, and right now, I don't think that's, I don't personally think that's likely, but I think if we form a similar setup, right, if we continue to test 3,000 and we continue to form lower lows uh, in this past range we've built up over the past two months, uh, then that wouldn't be a good sign. And I very well could be wrong here. And I, could very well lose money on my Bitcoin buys, but uh, overall, I'm comfortable buying Bitcoin unlevered uh, at this price. Gotcha. Yeah, totally. And so, so one question here, I'm just pulling it back up. Um, how did it go? So uh, this is from Nasty J. What's up, dude? Uh, in any market, uh, conventional herd thinking is almost always opposite of the actual price action with most people calling for $1,000. Doesn't it seem unlikely? Um, I will get to another question here in one second. Shout out to Full-Time Geek for that uh, that super chat there. Um, but I, I do think this is an interesting question because you we've seen this a little bit on the upside. You know, we saw this a, a ton on the upside where you know like you talked about it was the the 50,000 the $100,000 calls the the John McAfee we're in a new paradigm and it's literally mathematically impossible for this bubble to break um yada 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 and it was just like the higher bitcoin went the, the stronger the degree of conviction that it was going to continue to go up till the moon um and you know kind of since the $6,000 mark I feel like the bears had been know uh kind of in a similar level and then obviously they were rewarded when bitcoin cut another 50 percent to, to essentially where we are right now um but now that like you said now that we're at that three thousand dollar mark you're hearing more and more calls for two thousand one thousand thirteen hundred whatever it might be i do think it is you know interesting to see the degree of conviction now on the bearish side that is somewhat matching what we saw on the way up um in in 2017 maybe like very very early 2018 uh any any thoughts on that at all um, yeah, so uh, I think, I think, you know, the person who made that comment makes a good point, um, in the sense that, you know, the herds are, are usually wrong, but you have to be very careful when you time that, right? Because people would thought Bitcoin was going to the moon when Bitcoin was at 10,000, right? 
So if you had, let's say, shorted that, you would have been bankrupt because it had gone up. Even if you had shorted with like 2x leverage, you would have gone bankrupt probably. Um, so you have to be careful with, with just general going against the crowds. Um, sentiment analysis sentiment analysis can give you uh, a good sort of general idea for what's going on. But in terms of like pinpointing levels, um, it's, it's not the most precise tool, um, mainly because it's very subjective. Um, and data is, you know, very reliable data is, is hard to get. Mm -hmm. So um, it's the right idea. Uh, and I talk about it in my blog again, um, if you want to get like a more sort of detailed this, uh, explanation. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I think I think people shifting their goalposts down to, let's say, 2000, 1000, now that their target's been hit, rather than just scaling in, um, I suspect most people have scaled out since Bitcoin broke 6,000. And I don't want to rag on them. Like, people have bills to pay. And that's totally understandable. Um, but in terms of like a trade plan, then uh, it's not really a great indicator. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and just real quick, full-time geek, if you, uh, thanks for that super chat. Appreciate that, man. Um, if you want to uh, just follow me on Steam and it's Steam it at Crypto Bobby, just no underscores, straight Crypto Bobby. So you're good to go there, man. Um, Looking at some more of these questions here, the herd is always right. I don't know about that. <laughs> the herd is coming, and it's uh, the institutional herd, and and we can we can talk a little bit about that. So you had mentioned that previously. There's been some some comments around the ETFs, and uh, you know a lot of the a lot of the the components around what um, I think led up to a lot of the hype in, in 2017. And you know part of that was was futures launching with the you know CME and CBOE. I think that was almost, if we look back, I forget which one, if that was the CME or the C CBOE who launched the futures first, but that the run up to the futures launch was almost the exact, exact top of, of Bitcoin, which is pretty right. crazy. And it's really been on a, on a kind of a, on a tumble ever since. Um, but where, where is like the institutional, I guess, adoption or quote unquote institutional adoption in, in your mind? Do you feel like that is a, necessity for us to see a uh you know a market improvement from a price standpoint do you think there's any validity to that or is it something that you think is kind of a you know, mythical unicorn at this point in time uh i don't know if it's a, a, a unicorn but it's not going to be a hurt it's going to be a very slow trickle institutions aren't going to rush in at once they're not going to push the price up why would they do that they're giving themselves the worst price they're going to be if they do try and enter bitcoin um then it's going to be very, very slow, very methodical. Um, these, get, these people know what they're doing. Like they wouldn't have that much money if they didn't know what they were doing with the markets. Um, so I think with with institutions, yeah, it's 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 a it's a slow process, but it is it is starting. Um, with regard to the ETF specifically, I'm not. I don't really see the hype behind it, and maybe that's because I'm not like some sort of ETF expert. Yeah. But there's plenty of on ramps to get exposure to crypto right now. For retail people, it's pretty easy to open an account with Coinbase or Gemini and buy some Bitcoin. For institutions, you know, there's a ton of institutions that will, or funds that will, you know, gladly deal you crypto or get you involved. Perhaps it's a little harder, but institutions aren't really, at least I don't think institutions are really buying ETFs on the open market to get exposed. <laughs> you know, no they, spot long Bitcoin positions. I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. No, they're not on. They're not on Bitmex, believe it or not. Um, but. Uh, Actually, I some, think they, some of the institutions are just uh, offshore entities, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> at least the high-frequency traders are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty funny. The whales, the whales. I don't know about like major institutions, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so 
they 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 can they can get in right now if they want to. I think on ramps to make it easier. So for example, let's say if an investment bank, like I know Goldman shelved their plans to open a crypto desk, maybe some other uh, you know large banks are thinking of doing so. That would be great because uh, trading desks are actually that that doesn't mean the bank themselves are buying the asset. But that means that the clients they work with and the clients they work with are other institutions. That means that those clients now have an easier way to get Bitcoin. They can go through Goldman or some other bank, which is a trusted intermediary for them, and buy Bitcoin. And that's a lot safer, a lot easier. It gives them a lot more peace of mind. So I think a, uh, a crypto desk opening up or multiple crypto desks at multiple banks uh, would be a really, really good thing for the ecosystem. Really, really good thing for the price, at least. <laughs> Maybe not the ecosystem, but the price. Yeah, totally. Now, I think that's I think it's going to be interesting to, to watch that that just kind of process develop because I do think, you know, there it's been really interesting just watching like the not only the price of, of the assets in the crypto space and you had alluded to it earlier, but the layoffs. I mean, we've seen layoffs at um, you know, you've seen layoffs at Steemit. You've seen layoffs now or or potential layoffs. I think at NEM, I don't really know all that much about NEM, but apparently they're going to have a you know, massive layoffs um hosho which is a smart contract auditing company doesn't have you know any token or anything like that but laid off 80 percent of their staff because of the you know need for smart contract auditing died down quite a bit like across the board um there's been a number of layoffs i think that'll continue to increase liquid essentially went out of business um like all, all types of stuff um but then at the same point in time there are still some companies getting you know really more traditional vc funding Still some companies growing at this point in time. So like who is going to be able to, you know, a lot of this uh, comes down to who is going to be able to to survive the bear market. Um, and when you look at having the bear market, um, one thing I think to, to think about as a- Hey, Bobby? Yeah. Is your mic me? working? Yeah. Can you hear me? Uh, hold on. Hey, can you hear me? Hey, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, I was my sound. <laughs> my bad, dude. Um, so yeah, when you when you look at what um, you know, when you look at where we are at this point in time, um, I think you know this was like an interesting discussion on on Pomp's podcast, which I I actually really like a lot. Um, and he had um, uh, Nikhil from CoVenture. He had a teat and Nikhil, um, but he had Nikhil on, and he he asked Nikhil a question. And this was something um, that they actually disagreed with. So uh, I thought this was kind of an interesting statement too, where um, Pomp and Nikhil were essentially disagreed where Nikhil thought that the companies that raised the, essentially some of the companies that raised the most amounts of money were much more likely to, to survive this bear market than a lot of the companies that kind of raised a smaller amount of capital and, um, you know, Pomp, Pomp essentially argued that the, the counter side of that, you know, companies that were, um, you know, not not as aggressive with the 50, 100 million dollar ICOs, uh, 200 million dollar ICOs, whatever they might have been. Uh, those companies that haven't released products or, you know, kind of haven't done anything notable, um, they are very you know less likely to to actually survive a bear market. And we're starting to see that with some of these other projects as well. They might have raised a ton of money, um, but have either mismanaged treasuries or whatnot. But it's going to be really interesting just in the long run outside of like thinking institutional, but just infrastructure in the space. If this is a bear market or just the, if this market does last in a sideways pattern with let's say ETH at $100 and Bitcoin at $3,000 
for two years, um, it's going to cause a lot of companies to, to, I think, blow up because a lot of them just did not have this in their projections when they were raising money or spending money or anything like that. Yeah, I think it goes both ways, but uh, I think, I, like I said, it goes both ways. So basically, if you're a smaller company and you raised less capital, it, it depends why you did that, right? Yep. If you couldn't get the capital, that's one reason. But if you were just, if that if that means that you were more likely to tighten your belt on the expenses, right? So if you raised, it doesn't matter how much you raised, if you have a lower rate of spending, then you're going to be better off and more likely to survive. So if those companies that raise less capital are more likely to tighten their belts, either because of that or whether that reflects like the nature of the founders or whatever their fiscal habits, uh, then that means they're more likely to survive. Uh, I mean, generally you would think, yeah, those who raise the most capital are going to be most poised to survive, right? But what if you're running or what if you set up some sort of massive organization with a million employees and your expenses are through the nose and maybe you kept most of your treasury in Ethereum or other cryptocurrencies, which are now down 80, 90% from their highs when you raised them to when you, from when you raised that money, Yeah, like yep. that's a massive loss. And I guarantee you, none of these companies, uh, forecast this and their projections probably not even as a worst case scenario um but you know i i would be inclined to say that those who voluntarily raised less capital like if you only took like five million and you could have raised 50 or whatever just because you wanted to kind of cap it uh then you're probably doing better off because that means you're probably not just trying to grab as much money as you can um and you're probably more likely to kind of tighten your belt and be a little more responsible with it. That's just my two cents. I mean, obviously totally. it differs from company to company, but uh, it would be interesting to see data on that actually. It'd be really interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and a couple a couple points too. So a lot of questions, if Ethan is my son, um, yes, he is. Um, <laughs> he's I just a few years younger than me or, or I don't know, 10? Adopted. I don't know. Adopted. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he's my adopted son. Um, so yes, Ethan is my son at this point in time. I've, I've adopted him, um, even though I don't think he's at the adopting age anymore. Um, but I, Eunice, I'm, I'm happy to address this allegation. Um, he is my son. Um, and then next, next question, Stefan, what's up, dude? Um, <laughs> hope all is well, man. Good to see you in the chat as always too. Um, and I don't know if you saw this, but there was some pretty cool news about Abra today um allowing mm -hmm. essentially so abra is really i think abra is is probably if you guys aren't familiar so number one abra has a really really slick um app um so if you guys haven't used abra i would recommend checking it out um abra has a really really slick app uh but abra is essentially allowing you to um purchase really derivatives of uh kind of derivatives of stocks with crypto so whether it's uh derivatives of the s p 500 or facebook or whatever it might be but the way in which they do this is they actually don't even uh kyc you if you are depositing with bitcoin or i forget the other alternatives it might be ether or litecoin or something like that but they're actually the the way in which that they're legally um structured it's it's super fascinating stuff um so i would check it out i might even might do might do a full video on this uh, at some point in time because I think the way in which that they c conduct their business is is something that is is really really interesting and I think a lot of you guys might enjoy that as well. But did you catch that news at all? I see it now. Um, no, I hadn't heard of Abra before. Um, that's that sounds cool. Uh, that sounds really cool. Uh, I I hope it's legal. 
Um, Cause I know there was an exchange called one broker that yeah. uh, allowed people to do very similar things. And uh, uh, go, go to onebroker.com if you want to find out what happened. Yeah. It's, a, so, it's an FBI seizure page. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, 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 uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go with the, the spoil on that one. It's an FBI right. seizure page, but if you go, yeah, go to one broker. Um, I do think, so it is interesting there. I do think one thing that is kind of um, like Bill is the C Bill, who's the CEO of, of Abra has been around in the Bitcoin space for, for a while. Um, I actually think I could probably get a referral link. I'd love to send you one Eunice. I'd love to send you a ref link. Um, cause I've used it and it's, it's actually pretty legit, but, uh, his background is cool. like, I think he was like a, like 20 years ago was in like the CIA or was like a software engineer for the CIA and worked was like one of the original employees at Netscape and like just in the internet business for a really long time. So, um, there's, there's a lot of like really fascinating stuff that, um, that Abra does in the way that they've like constructed their business. They are like by, by no means like a fly by night kind of like one broker esque, um, type, type organization. So probably worth just at a very high level, like a full, um, like a full video on, but I probably don't have the full, I, I don't have the full breakdown of it right now. Fair. Um, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. I don't know much about it, but that's, that's cool. It's like Robin hood sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially it's, uh, it's, it's somewhat, somewhat similar to that. Um, yeah. Stefan, I see some, some kind of, uh, some some questions, some uh, comments there, I think, from the CEO. But uh, yeah, if you guys have, so trying to pop through some of these questions here, if you have any specific questions from um, Ethan outside of me avoiding ch child support for Ethan, um, he's, he's at an expensive college right now. So I have, <laughs> I have been trying to avoid that as much as possible. Tuition is not cheap. Um, so I will, uh, he's, he's taking out student loans for those. So uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um... Yeah. Anything else, sir? Yeah, yeah. Just popping through. We'll take okay. we'll take two more questions here. You got a cool. minute? Um, yeah, of course. Outside of when when you're growing your beard, um... <laughs> looks really bad. Don't don't ask me. It looks really bad. I get shaved today. Looks awful when I grow it out. <laughs> so we'll we'll pull. Let's see here. So one, one fairly interesting question here. Have you ever given any thought to how, I'm going to say it says this, but I'll say the, the cryptocurrency just industry or Bitcoin as a whole could potentially not work out in, in our favor as in the price um, could keep just really going down and anything that could, could make this whole thing go up in flames. Is there anything when you look at you know putting money into to Bitcoin, putting money into cryptocurrency that you feel like is really just like, you know, the, the, either the black swan event that would take this all down and, and make your, you know, $3,000 buys go to zero. Does anything, you know, kind of strike you as extremely realistic on that standpoint? The apocalypse. I mean, yeah, there's a few things on that level that would, if the U S government and like Europe banned Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, that would probably tank the price. If there was a critical vulnerability found in, in Bitcoin, that would tank the price for sure. Um, I mean, outside of that, like, there's no really non like doomsday scenarios that could really tank the price. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's got it has a value proposition that hasn't really changed over the past 10 years. Um, I mean, 
just because the, it goes back to what I was saying, like just because the price is down doesn't mean like we have to get all doom and gloom here. Like it's still the same asset as it was two years ago. Yeah. And better arguably because lightning network and other things are coming along. Um, but I mean, in terms of like the crypto space as a whole, I mean, if you talk about like blockchain technology and smart contracts, yeah, that might not work out. That very much might not work out. Uh, if you look at daily active users for most, most, the most smart contracts, they're through the floor. They've always been through the floor. CryptoKitties was the only successful one, and that slowed down the Ethereum network. Like, I don't know. I'm not bullish on smart contracts at all. I mean, maybe I don't understand them fully, but I get the gist, and it just seems like a complicated and expensive way to do something that you could easily do with a trusted counterparty with little to no downside. I mean, uh, if you're talking about that, then possibly. If you're talking about Bitcoin and like cryptocurrency, the actual currency, uh, I think there's a very solid uh, value proposition there that might not manifest um, unless like fully manifest, unless there's a currency crisis. So it's manifesting in Venezuela right now, right? You see a lot of Venezuelans who luckily have access to cheap petrol and electricity because they have a ton of oil. Uh, they're mining Bitcoin and that's how they're saying, that's how they're managing their finances. That's how they're bringing in hard capital. So it works for them. Um, but in terms of like in developed nations, I think a technology like the Lightning Network comes along, if it becomes uh, not only cheaper, but it becomes easier on the user's end to buy and sell things with Bitcoin. So if the UI gets there, if you know merchants understand Bitcoin, uh, if it can be simplified, um, if it can be marketed, uh, those would all be things usability would really bring value to to bitcoin and not usability in the sense of can i use it but why should i use it yeah yeah i'm, I'm laughing uh, i don't know if this is your buddy scholars 28 but i'm <laughs> he had he had some 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 funny comments about uh you and your ex-girlfriend sarah um in the in the youtube comments i don't think that's actually a real person that's, but I, uh it's it's pretty funny um but no i think uh looking at um like looking at what you said, I think that so there's a couple of different interesting points. I think Bitcoin as a whole, and right now there's a lot of like I think that it's interesting because with the the price action as it is, um, I think there's a lot of just like hostility in the community because realistically everybody's wrecked. Um, Bitcoin Bitcoiners specifically are less wrecked than um, anybody who's been big on an altcoin because you've gotten you know Bitcoin's down really whatever 75 80 percent whatever it might be whereas most all coins are down 90 95 percent um probably plus some um but when you are like when i'm thinking about bitcoin and then to like looking at where ethereum is right now as well there's like a lot of arguments now it seems like at least the people i follow on twitter between bitcoiners between ethereum between folks with ethereum um or like i don't know if we call them ethereum maximalist whatever you want to call them but i do think that they could possibly coexist and i do think ethereum is starting to to actually like when you when you look at the dap users as a as a whole too like dap users are are you know there's it's very minimal you go to dap radar there's there's not many people and then if you can go to like EOS or Tron and there's there's a possibility that EOS and Tron are faking those users or whatever it might be. But Ethereum DAP users is pretty minimal. But you look at the amount of money that's involved within um, you know, certain things like MakerDAO, CDPs and compound finance, the amount of Ethereum that's locked up there. I do think that that gets really interesting. Um, and I think that like there's kind of like I think it's funny because you like on Twitter, you got pomp with like long Bitcoin short the bankers. Um, I do think in that case, it's almost like long Bitcoin short the central bankers. Um, 
but I don't think that in some cases Bitcoin necessarily like disrupts the like the the JP Morgans or the Goldman Sachs is as much as maybe a smart contract, whether it's Ethereum or something else comes along. But there's some really interesting implications of like, you know, decentralized lending or something like that. Like right now with MakerDAO CDP, you get a 0.5%. Um, you get a, essentially a loan for 0.5% annual interest. Granted, that's tied to the price of Ether um, or it's collateralized to the price of Ether, which has dropped 90%. So you might be super, super collateralized. But it's... Um, I think it's like, you know, you have Bitcoin that is very much a, a realistic possibility to to hurt a lot of central banks and rightfully so because central banks have been a, a kind of a plague on humanity in some cases. Uh, but then you also have maybe, and this is at a very high level, maybe, I think it's both maybe, but potentially smart contract platforms, whether it's Ethereum or something else that could have a cool uh, kind of impact on what happens with um on really what happens with like kind of just banks as a whole. Um, so that, that'll be, I think, fun to watch. Um, but last question here too. So one, one thing um, somebody talked about, and I think we can expand this question, but if you look at ETH, do you chart that against Bitcoin or USD? Um, but even outside of that, as like, a, as a whole, we had talked about this in the, in the last, you know, in the last time you were on the channel, uh, looking at Bitcoin versus, uh, the altcoins because they they kind of move in, in sometimes separate directions. Ha has that changed for you at all recently? Like when you look at how Bitcoin moves versus how uh, altcoins move in the market, like how how do you look at the this separate or like the disparity between the two? Do you think there is any type of uh, any type of of disparity at all there with with how Bitcoin moves versus how altcoins move and how you might chart one versus the other? Uh. They, they move in similar directions, not always, but most of the time. Um, in general, just looking at the charts, it seems like altcoins are about maybe six months ahead of the market cycle uh, when compared to Bitcoin. Um, and it's also supported by the fact that altcoins, most of them, I think, peaked in, what was it, like May or June of 2017, whereas Bitcoin took another half a year to peak after that. Yep. Um, so I think they're a little bit ahead of Bitcoin. But what we've seen with, with altcoins actually could support uh, not necessarily a bullish case, but at least a non-bearish case for Bitcoin, because we've seen a lot of them over the past, I don't even know, six, three months. They formed, a, some of them formed a pretty solid bottom. Um, most of them aren't really trending down anymore. They haven't made new lows in, in at least a month, probably more of them. For more of them, it's, it's a few months. Um, and that's really what you want to see, right? Because assets don't just move up and move down. There's a lot of... Uh, consolidation that takes place as well and a lot of bottom forming a lot of entry and exits um before before bitcoin can have another run up it's got to consolidate near the lows mm -hmm. got to be so old money can flush out new money if it's interested can have a chance to enter right and then over time once we've seen this overweight supply flushed out then maybe we can see another rise once more coins are being held by people who are not hodlers necessarily, but are, you know, in it for at least a longer term, maybe we can see a rise. And that's true in all markets, right? I mean, if you look at, I don't have the chart in front of me, but if you look at like, I'm sure tech in the dot in the 2000s, right? After 2000, uh, it was probably near its lows for quite a while before making any real moves. Um, same with Bitcoin. I mean, back in 2015, early 2016, it was between 
200 to about five, $600 for a year and a half. Um, and that was after a high of 14, 1200, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean, what the picture that altcoins are painting right now is bullish sort of in and of itself. Uh, but it's also looks, makes Bitcoin look good too. Yeah, totally. No, that's, uh, I think that's a, a, it's a pretty interesting point too. And uh, Reynaldo, real quick, uh, sorry I missed that before. I think I put my uh, public ID for my Lightning node um, and address within the chat. So let me know if you missed that, Reynaldo, if you're still on the line. Um, but yeah, if you want to test out tippin.me with Lightning, that'd be awesome. Let me know how that works out. Uh, but I guess, you know, at this point in time, I know it's, it's probably somewhat late in, uh, wherever <laughs> you might be right now. So I don't want to, uh, keep you from studying or running about running about town, whatever you might be up to, but, um, I appreciate you taking the time, man. If you guys are unfamiliar or don't follow Ethan on Twitter, uh, it's, it's at crypto Ethan. Um, <laughs> so definitely do so, uh, but hopefully we can get you on, um, earlier than a year because it was it was over <laughs> a year since the last time you're on the channel and hopefully this time you're right again because last time like we said before ethan said we're basically at the top and uh yeah this is looking a little bit frothy and now now you know um things might be looking a little bit more realistic here and we might be having a conversation hopefully with ethan in the in the future again sometime where we can talk about how he was you know dollar cost averaging in before uh you know before things started to, to move in a positive direction and we're not all poor again so <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me bobby it's always always good to talk with you and uh thanks chat for the good questions yeah yeah appreciate everybody um thank you for the good questions uh appreciate all the trolls as well love you all um i hope you guys have a good one peace everybody